Hi, and welcome to Absite Smackdown. Today on the podcast, we're going to discuss the coronavirus. Welcome to the Absite Smackdown podcast. We'll talk clinical scenarios, interesting Absite facts, and interesting general surgery knowledge. Now, let's get to it. There's some key things to know about the coronavirus that even as surgeons, we're going to run into, whether we go to decide when to restart our elective cases or how to do it, it sure does help to know a little bit about this virus that has impacted us so much. So first, let's talk about the biology. Coronavirus is a 30 kilobase pair, single-stranded RNA enveloped virus. We think it may be zoonotic, uh, whether it came from a bat or something else. Uh, we're not sure, but eventually it came to people. And of course, there are all these other theories about it originating in a lab. What we do know is that it spreads primarily person to person, and it can be spread by asymptomatic carriers. The asymptomatic phase is really pretty lengthy for this condition. Viral particles enter the lungs via droplets, and the WHO and CDC both recommend airborne precautions, airborne isolation techniques. There's a viral S spike that binds to ACE2 on type 2 pneumocytes. So that's one of the key portals of entry, type 2 pneumocytes. The effects of uh, ACE slash ARBs uh, is unclear, and it's not recommended to change medications to that. So ACE inhibitors angiotensin receptor blockers. We're not exactly sure about how or whether that affects things, and uh, currently there doesn't seem to be any strong recommendation to change meds at this time. Now, there are other portals of infection. Enteric, lately there's been some evidence that infection can occur via an ocular route. These are possible, but we're not sure just how significant these are in terms of means of spread. Hi, this is Jessica host of Absite Smackdown podcast. We're prepping new episodes for you weekly on Absite content, facts about the test, and useful tools to help you do your best. Visit AbsiteSmackdown.com for the latest and best tools today. Now, in terms of epidemiology, the attack rate in China was substantial, 30 to 40 percent. The R sub zero was approximately uh, two to four, depending on which case series you read. The case fatality rate was approximately 2.3% again in China, and the incubation time was approximately 3 to 15 days. So you can have an asymptomatic carrier for up to two weeks, and that's part of the concern uh, about this particular condition and in part why it spreads so widely. Viral shedding uh, has a median of about 20 days, max of 37 days. And in our practice, we've seen uh, many patients come through who are PCR negative, and we'll get to the PCR testing in a bit, but who are PCR negative, who don't seem to be shedding COVID virus, but in fact, who have obvious signs, obvious stigmata of having had the condition. Next, let's break down disease severity. So the epidemiology here is fairly clear. About 80% of the time, it's not severe. Uh, It's just a mild pneumonia. About 15% of the time, it is severe. And there's hypoxia and respiratory distress. And about 5% of the time, a patient is critical. And there's respiratory failure. Places where we see the disease cluster are uh, skilled nursing facilities, cruise ships, 
um, conferences, anywhere people come together in large groups. And there are several epidemiologic levels of prevention of transmission, including hand washing, social distancing, and quarantining. You may have seen this social media hashtag of flattening the curve, and that's uh, where we try to take the same area under the curve but distribute it over a longer time. So there's the same area under the curve uh, where that curve is a plot of time from onset of outbreak to number of hospitalized patients. And the goal is to make that curve, even if it has the same area, just flatter. And the reason being uh, not to exceed uh, capacity uh, for hospitals. The Absite Smackdown Podcast. Visit the Smackdown at absitesmackdown.com. In terms of clinical presentation, we see several symptoms recurrently. Those include cough, fever, dyspnea, and the symptoms that are typically seen across the U.S. match what we've seen in our practice. About 50 to 80 percent have a cough, about 45 percent are febrile on presentation. Overall, it seems like more are febrile at some point during the illness, up to about 85%. 20 to 40% have dyspnea, 15% have upper respiratory symptoms, and 10% have GI symptoms. There are also key lab findings that we see that individually are not necessarily specific, but can give you a good hint that this is COVID virus. And on CBC, those include leukopenia, so a low white blood cell count, and lymphopenia. About 80% of patients or so tend to have lymphopenia. On BMP, there's an increased BUN creatinine ratio. LFTs demonstrate an increase uh, transaminase uh, values, so a transaminitis, AST and ALT are increased, and T bilias. Often D-dimers increased, C-reactive protein is increased, LDH is increased, and both IL-6 and ferritin are increased. Typically, procalcitonin is low, but it can also be high if there's an overlying infection, such as a you know, bacterial infection uh, superimposed on significant uh, viral disease. So the bottom line is, although the labs aren't specific, that's kind of the typical constellation we see uh, with COVID virus, uh, virus patients. Now, on imaging, it's not diagnostic. In fact, about 17% of patients who uh, have COVID virus by PCR actually have a negative chest CT on presentation. The chest X-ray um, uh, demonstrates usually hazy bilateral infiltrates with peripheral opacities. And CT of the chest demonstrates ground glass opacities, and there are many other terms given to the findings around these COVID-related areas like uh, halo sign, crazy paving, consolidation, uh, etc. cetera. Uh, so the bottom line here is that CT uh, is often not diagnostic. Isolation is one strategy for these patients. Uh, some people argue that this is a really great role for telemedicine and that we should be treating these patients via phone call. Others include placing the patient in a mask in a single room and limiting and uh, restricting visitors and uh, moving ventilator controls and IV pumps outside the room if at all possible. That allows us to conserve personal protective equipment, save time, and reduce exposure. Precautions? Well, uh, there are standard PPE precautions and gowning and gloving uh, or donning and then taking everything off or doffing has a correct sequence, including a standard plus contact isolation, uh, including double gloving, 
there's uh, airborne precautions for aerosolizing procedures like intubation or people who are on uh, positive pressure ventilation that's uh, non-invasive, you know, BiPAP or CPAP, and a droplet uh, for everything else. So we think that improved cloth masks are likely ineffective. Uh, remember, N95 masks have to be fit tested. We should be wearing eye protection. Uh, PPE should be donned and doffed with a trained observer, someone to watch to make sure we're doing it kind of in that right sequence. For hand hygiene, there are lots of recommendations floating around. Uh, we do think that uh, 20 seconds with soap and water is likely effective, but there are other options as well, including alcohol-containing hand gel, although there's some disagreement about what is most effective, whether that's uh, soap and water or alcohol-based prep. The Absite Smackdown Podcast, bringing you the best for your Absite review. In terms of treatment, um, probably one of the key things is to isolate patients who are suspected of having COVID virus and testing with PCR early. Uh, there should be a triage discussion amongst either a healthcare team uh, or the group doing triage. It's typically recommended to do a fluid sparing resuscitation. Again, this is a primary pulmonary disease with most uh, issues uh, that um, uh, seem to put the patient in danger relating to the lung sequelae. For that reason, although fluid resuscitation is important, it should really be done judiciously so the lungs uh, don't become uh, worse with the overfluid resuscitation. Uh, antibiotics uh, may have a role, and there's uh, some staff who do start empiric antibiotics, some who do not. Um, the recommendation is to intubate early under controlled conditions uh, with rapid sequence intubation, no bagging, have suction and capnography available, and be prepared to have a plan B. So many uh, advocate early intubation. Uh, some say to avoid uh, negative, uh, some uh, recommend to avoid non-invasive positive pressure ventilation unless an individualized reason exists. And if that does happen, consider helmet mask uh, and avoid things like nebulizers and bronchoscopy if, uh, unless uh, they're really necessary for that patient. Remember mechanical ventilation for ARDS. These patients typically do manifest uh, very low PF ratios if they're sick enough to come to intubation. Uh, you would set the, um, basically uh, use an ARDSnet type protocol. Uh, make sure that there's um, uh, either the ability to use a pressure regulated mode like APRV or bivent, whatever you may call it, depending on the vent you have, or somehow a lung protective strategy. It's key here. Uh, inhaled prostacyclins uh, have a role, as do uh, both proning and uh, paralytics in uh, uh, less typical circumstances, but they may become necessary. <clears throat> and uh, there may be a role for ECMO, again, if there's challenge um, improving the PF ratio and if there's a challenge oxygenating with any uh, with maximal settings. Um, consider screening for cardiomyopathy. Uh, point of care ultrasound can help with this and it may be part of your imaging uh, routine. Uh, cardiomyopathy is a sequela, sequelum that is seen at times. Uh, and there are certain investigational therapies going on. There are clinical trials that the CDC uh, is uh, putting out there. Uh, there's um, different drugs which are used uh, different centers. We're not sure how well they work. Uh, remdesivir uh, is not approved. 
but uh, may be useful. Uh, chloroquine and hydroxychloroquine uh, may have a role that's still controversial. Remember, there's a, a QT interval uh, issue that may occur there. Um, uh, teclizumab is available. That's investigational, uh, mostly for patients in shock. Lopinavir and ritonavir, those are available. However, uh, this just in, there have been some uh, negative randomized clinical trials. Ulcetamivir, um, uh, uh, we're not sure about either. And corticosteroids are typically not recommended. They may be given to patients with significant um, late-stage uh, ARDS-type pictures. But again, these are often not recommended for most patients. <clears throat> The Absite Smackdown podcast is based on the best-selling review book, Absite Smackdown. The only Absite review with an entire video review course included. Visit AbsiteSmackdown.com and pick it up today. Prognosis, it's useful when a patient comes in to have a sense of prognosis. And uh, age and comorbidities are key here. Uh, patients who are older, such as... Um, 75, 70 or greater, even uh, 65 uh, or greater, uh, do tend to have higher um, morbidity and uh, mortality from this condition. In part, uh, associated comorbidities drive that, uh, and then there are other there are certain comorbidities that seem to up mortality risk, like diabetes, chronic obstructive pulmonary disease, hypertension cerebrovascular disease, and cancer. And whether that's true, true, and unrelated or an independent uh, risk factor, uh, the literature is currently kind of teasing that out. But those are markers, whether it's for patients who are just more sick overall or whether they drive it uh, independently, it seems like those uh, really do help prognose worsening outcome. Also, an admission SOFA score predicts mortality uh, fairly well. There's a high mortality in intubated patients with comorbidities. It can be as high as 50 to 80%. Uh, I would not take that necessarily as a reason not to intubate. Again, that may mean they those patients need earlier and more aggressive care and that they are at high risk. But I wouldn't read backwards on that and say that somehow intubation causes that. Uh, it just is a lesson that if they're sick enough to require intubation, uh, they typically have a significant uh, mortality. Other lab findings predict mortality, like an increased D-dimer, troponin, cardiac myoglobin, ferritin. And there's some thought that COVID really does somehow yield a hypercoagulable state, driving that D-dimer. So another uh, consideration is screening for PE, even if there's uh, chemoprophylaxis uh, and uh, SCDs, et cetera. Uh, or should the patient have a symptom consistent with that? And if they can travel around the hospital, just keep in mind PEs do happen in these patients. And it, uh, we think it may be due to a hypercoagulable effect uh, from uh, COVID, but we're not sure. Uh, do expect prolonged mechanical ventilation. And of course, there are complications related to that, like uh, hospital-acquired pneumonias and ventilator-associated pneumonias. Uh, remember, cardiomyopathy has a pretty significant incidence in these people of about uh, 33%. So the headlines here are that COVID is a disease that we are tracking and improving our understanding of every day. As one of the people who uh, treats COVID, I'll share with you that many things are not ironed out, but the overall takeaway is, a, is that a lung supportive uh, therapy, uh, therapeutic regimen, a um, 
regimen where we use lung protective strategies. Uh, really, those are the mainstays of care for these patients. Be careful with your fluid. Uh, you can over-resuscitate these patients who have uh, really pulmonary sequelae as the driving reason for them to be sick. So although fluid resuscitation is important, just keep in mind, uh, do it judiciously. As far as medications, we're not really sure which, if any, have a, a, an effect on improving or shortening the course of disease, but there are lots of candidates, and we listed some of those here. So the bottom line is I hope you enjoy and find useful this podcast on some of what's currently known about COVID. Again, this is an academic review. I don't make any specific therapeutic recommendations, and of course, I'm not making any that apply directly to your patient. But from the standpoint of understanding uh, what we currently know about the virus and what may come up in your practice and on the app site, just wanted to share with you some of the current thinking so you have it for your drive to work or for when you have downtime at work. And uh, we just wanted to provide that for you here at Absite Smackdown.com. Uh, now, I'll also share with you the full transcript of our talk here is summarized on the website. Go there and visit it if you want to see the written form. Hope you find this useful. And again, no specific treatment recommendations for your patients, but rather just spreading the knowledge around uh, for what we currently know about COVID. Have a great day. Good luck with these difficult patients if you do see them. Thanks for listening to the Absite Smackdown podcast. Visit us at absitesmackdown.com for more great Absite facts.